Welcome to Watching Trees Grow, a podcast by Troutwood, hosted by Jean Natali, co-founder and CEO of Troutwood. Watching Trees Grow is here to help Gen Z plant the seed for a sustainable and stable financial future. If you'd like to discover more from Troutwood, our speaker series is designed to work side-by-side with the Troutwood suite of investment, educational, and financial planning tools. Please visit troutwood.com to learn more. Now, here's Gene Natale. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Gene Natale with Troutwood. And it's, uh, for those watching via video, we have a beautiful picture of a campus just south of us here in Pittsburgh. Today, we are going to be speaking with my friend, Dr. Naomi Boyd. Dr. Boyd is the Associate Dean for Outreach, Innovation, and Engagement at West Virginia University. And in addition to having a great deal of daily interaction with Gen Z, Naomi sits in the very unique position of having for years helped to coordinate the state of West Virginia's annual finance university program for high school educators. Naomi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, Naomi, before we dive into our, our finance conversation and your just just great experience and observation for this conversation, let's tell our, our guests the, the non-finance side of Naomi. How did, how did you get here? Uh, and by here, I mean West Virginia University. Um, I actually, um, I spent a little bit of time in West Virginia as a, as a young child, and then my family relocated to Texas, so I'm a, um, a, a little bit of a hodgepodge of uh, growing up everywhere, but I spent most of, most of my childhood in Texas, and then um, ended up back in, in this part of the country, living in D.C. for five years. So I got my Ph.D. at George Washington University. Um, I also spent eight years at the Commodity Futures Training Commission in D.C., um, and a big draw to West Virginia was the ability to commute back and forth um, to D.C. So I, I actually kept my office in the city for, for about five years after moving here. Um, and yeah, so we've we, in, in a lot of ways, we, we were I was coming back home. Um, we still have a lot of family friends that are here. Um, so that was like an interesting, it, it just sort of happened that way. Um, but yeah, definitely the proximity to DC um, and the, the the beauty of the state, the people, the university has kept us here all these years. And how many years have you been at WVU? So I have been at WVU for 13 years. That's it. And is it okay for us to say WVU or should we say West Virginia University? No, what, you, can call, you can say WVU. <laughs> excellent. I want to make sure we capture the pride of the state well. <laughs> what has, it, it would be remiss not to ask what has life been like on campus in this past year of COVID? Um, it's been hard. It's been really hard. I think that, you know, a university campus thrives off of um, the interaction with students um, and the students thrive off of the interaction with one another. Um, and because of COVID, it's been it's been really challenging. I was um, the only faculty member in, in, in Chambers College that was teaching um, on campus in the fall. Um, so that was a really lonely experience for me personally. And um, even even with the students, we were teaching behind big plexiglass walls. Um, and so there there just wasn't that personal interaction that, you know, really, I feel like we all we all thrive off of. And I feel like, you know, students, students need that that one on one time, too. We weren't, we weren't allowed to, to meet with students in our offices. So 
you know, as the, the spring has gone on, things have started to pick up a little bit. The campus seems to be coming a little bit more alive um, as vaccinations have, have taken place and faculty are starting to come back to campus a little bit more. But yeah, it's certainly been a um, somewhat of a tragic year, I think, for all of us, somewhat of a lost year. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the fall and looking forward to a little sense of, of normalcy and um, kind of some of that fear, I think, to dissipate. Has the university made any decisions for the fall, what class will look like? Um, as it stands right now, we expect to be fully back on campus. Um, the, the interesting part is that some students now, although in the fall we were dealing with a lot of students and parents that were upset that um, we decided to transition to primarily online, um, I had to actually fight really hard to just get an in-person class for, for my um, students. But um, now going into next fall, a lot of students have become accustomed to it. So now we're facing the opposite problem where we're saying we're, we're coming back you know, full force in the fall on campus. And, and now we're sort of having to pivot because our customers are, are wanting to stay home or they're wanting to do internships or work um, and do remote um, schooling. So it's, it's kind of an interesting time to be in higher ed because of all of the, the, the transition in terms of how people are learning and what people have gotten used to. Is there any part of the remote experience that you expect continues? Once the school reopens, um, I, I personally don't think that this is going away. So I, I think we're probably two to three years out from, um, you know, really being, you know, over the hump. And I think, you know, that's sort of expecting it to go back to um, the way things were before is a little bit unrealistic. I think that we're going to continue to I think we're going to see a big shift in terms of how we educate. I think a lot of the, um, you know, the hybrid courses where, I mean, at, on, on any given point, point in time, any day, I probably have anywhere from, you know, three to eight students that are coming into my classroom that is being taught in person through Zoom. Um, so I really think that that will continue. Um, I don't think the online component will necessarily continue at large, you know, land grant institutions, um, but, but it, it, it might. I think we just have to listen to what the students want. And as long as they're, they're learning and they're successful, um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to change. You, you, we were talking before the show and you teach a financial literacy class at the moment. Did it? Is it? How long have you been teaching financial literacy at the university and what was the path to get that course? Um, so it was interesting when I was an assistant professor, my department chair um, came to me um, because I was polling our students um, on where they were actually getting jobs and they were getting jobs in financial services. And so I'd had, a, I'd had some conversations with him about, you know, this is, this is where the students are really heading. Um, and he had he had been um, part of the, you know, sort of initiator of financial literacy programming in the state of West Virginia. And so it was near and dear to his heart, too. And so he came to me and he said, look, this is we need to build a CFP program and you need to do it. And as an assistant professor, you're told to do something and, you know, you, you jump, you, you jump and, and ask how high you want them to, 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 to how high you want to jump. Um, and I was not a financial literacy expert in any way, shape, or form. I was a market microstructure researcher. Like I said before, I worked at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission studying derivative markets. Um, I was really more on the investment side of things. 
Um, and so I sort of said, okay, but I don't really know anything about this stuff. But, um, you know, come to find out you do know a lot about it because it's day-to-day life. Um, and so, you know, we built out this program, um, I would say probably 10 years ago. And we're going on our 10th, probably our 10th year of having a CFP um, program at West Virginia University. Um, my ultimate goal is to bring fin- a financial literacy course to the entire university. I really think that this is, um, you know, this is something that I've been working toward for a long time, but it's a resource issue and trying to get different constituents to buy in. And then you have turnover in terms of the university leadership. So we were making great progress and then, you know, people shifted or left the university and then you, you continue to grow and build it and, and do what you can. But um, I think it's just getting that message out there and, and really focusing and, and building out good, good courses that resonate with students. So I feel like we've made a ton of progress in 10 years going from not having any type of financial literacy course at the university to now we have at least we're, we're at least touching every single student um, at some point in their career at West Virginia University. Is that desire for a, a, a broader financial literacy course, is that based on student observations or is that based on observations outside of the classroom, i.e. the real world your students are graduating into? Um, I think that it's both. I think that it started early on with conversations with the athletic department um, probably six, six years ago. I mean, initially it was just focused on our finance students that, you know, we're going to build out this program because that's where they're headed. Um, but through working with primary and secondary educators throughout the state of West Virginia, through t- working with the athletic department, sort of seeing the challenges that college students are facing um, in terms of just not understanding, you know, basic, simple budgeting, um, they get themselves into leases that they can't afford and then get evicted and um, they don't understand credit at all. Um, I sort of started to change my purview and my focus to really focusing on what I consider the most critical um you know, age group for financial literacy, which is that 18 to 24 year old um, age group, because they're they're making financial decisions that are going to impact them for the rest of their life. Um, And I think that that is something that, you know, most most people aren't thinking about, um, you know, they're thinking about, okay, how do we get pay for college? How do we get these students through? Um, but really, they're, they're setting the decisions they're making in terms of taking on, you know, too much student loan debt and, you know, not managing their credit or running up credit card bills or getting themselves into debt is really, truly going to impact and transcend the university and, and transcend their, um, you know, the early, early stages of their lifetime. So, Naomi, do you see that same, uh, maybe urgency might be the wrong word to use, but that 18 to 24 age range and that, that critical time period for financial. Do you have students that agree with you when you make that statement or do you see more of the I'm young and invincible and I'll, I'll sit through and engage your conversation and we can talk more about this later. You know, I, I find that once they, they actually are engaged um, in either a class or they come and actually sit in a seminar, they're very excited about it. Um, I, I find that especially this generation, like they don't want to make mistakes. They, they want to live a good life. They, um, and, and they are quick to recognize that, um, you know, they don't know what they don't know, um, which is, which is somewhat refreshing. Like they're not, I don't, I've never found that students are, you know, necessarily even combative in terms of, well, I don't know, I I don't need to know this. 
Um, they really are excited. And especially, I think the accessibility of, of financial markets has opened up a lot of interest. Um, and, you know, even high school students during quarantine, I was actually working with a group of students at a local high school. Um, they were a, a group of, you know, kids I'm friends with their parents. And they, they contacted me and said, hey, you know, we're basically sitting at home not doing anything. And we really want to learn how to trade. We want to learn about capital markets. And, you know, this is where the, the whole space with Robinhood and um, TD Ameritrade and all of these, you know, different trading platforms has opened up and, and just having the time um, has opened up the door, I feel like, to a lot greater participation for this younger age group. Um, and, you know, looking at, you know, some of the tragedies that have occurred because of, you know, not understanding or not knowing um, what people, you know, what, what markets are really about. I feel like it, it opens up a really great opportunity to um, educate young people on um, everything from capital markets, but also integrating in that, um, that financial literacy piece as well, um, focusing more on credit and budgeting and, and things like that. They want to learn about stocks, but you can, you can find ways to, to build in um, uh, other, other pieces of it too, because it all goes back to budgeting. I was talking to my student athletes about that yesterday. So. You made some, there's some, some two comments I want to unpack there. The first, you can be young and invincible still and make smart money choices. It's not a mutually exclusive conversation. Uh, but it sounds like you've observed that, that, that the interest is high once the door is open. Right. The, the second, to your second point there, and this is just a personal, I'm personally intrigued to see where education goes. The door was open to this whole new world. Robinhood has a beautiful UI, UX, great user experience, but it's real money and the choices have consequences. Uh, right. so with an education system, is it fair to say we now need to catch up and equip our tools for our students for how to operate in that new world. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, a big piece of that is um, just getting students to understand the risks associated with investing. Um, and, you know, especially I've had a really good time working with these student athletes because you can relate everything back to sports. You can relate everything back to what they're doing on the field. Yesterday we were talking about risk and return and um, I started talking, they, they were not getting it. They were just, you know, eyes glossed over. And, and that's what, you know, you find sometimes when you're teaching, if you're, if you're trying to teach theoretical concepts and textbook definitions, it doesn't work. Um, and so I used different teams as examples. Um, and I, you know, used one team that they for sure were going to beat. And I used another team that, that is really, really way better than them. And I said, okay, so if you're making a choice, which one would you go with? Um, and, you know, so we use that that sort of framework to set up decision making and investing and risk and return. And they all got it. So that was really, you know, it's it's fun to to work with different student groups and, and try to get them to to sort of understand that, you know, it's the, the, the risk and return is definitely there and um, they need to they need to be cognizant of it and manage it. When, you, when working with student athletes, that there's there's another component that they seem to understand quite well, and that's the importance of having a plan. Right. Their coach works tirelessly to give the best odds of winning the game, independent of the strength of the opponent. Why not do those same? They make that same type of plan for our financial future. Control what we can control. Naomi, do you have is is there and if there isn't, just say there isn't. Is there a most popular question you get from your students or your student athletes? 
on, on their money future? Um, I think they all just want to know how to make more money. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for my student student athletes, we have this this joke in my class. Um, you know, show me how to make the how to how to make more bread, Miss Floyd. I mean, that's what they <laughs> continuously throw at me. Um, but they really, um, they, they want to create wealth and it's, it's interesting to see that kind of shift. Um, they don't want to just create the here and now, um, kind of income streams. They really want to know how can I not only set myself up for success, but my family up for success, which I think is really, um, you know, a wonderful, um, you know, uh, goal because it's, it's speaking more to generational wealth. Um, questions and really, like you said, planning and goal setting. And it's not this sort of here and now very singular mentality anymore. Um, I find with this generation more than than the, any generation before, they're really a giving generation. They really um, are thoughtful and um, they, they care about things in, in a different way. Um, than generations that I've taught before. So it's, it's, it's really, it's really cool to see. And I think that it leaves some great opportunities for, um, you know, creating goal setting strategies and really talking to them more about not only making money, but creating a, a pattern of wealth. I teach at the University of Pittsburgh, Naomi. So in, in theory, you and I aren't supposed to have such a good relationship, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'll echo that. I see the same thing. I see students with high student loan debt wanting to give to charity right out of the gate. Uh, yeah. Fair amounts of money too. the social causes that are so important to their heart. It's a very special generation that is entering the real world here and um, that has been entering the real world and graduates in 2021. With with what with the is it fear or do you think it's excitement at the opportunity that's driving those kind of questions? Is it fear maybe of you know, this generation that's graduating now, they were old enough to know what happened if mom or dad lost their job in the financial crisis. Right. So, so fear or excitement that's driving those questions or maybe even a mix of both? I definitely think it's a mix of both. I think that they um, have um, definitely seen, many of them have seen their parents go through um, a lot coming out of that financial crisis. Um, but now they have such great accessibility to capital markets that we we didn't we certainly didn't have when we were their age. Um, so it just makes it more exciting because they can they can participate. I mean, my my 15 year old son has a trading account. You know, there there are ways that that very young individuals can actually participate in the markets. And so I think it, it is exciting for them to see these big run ups and in stock price and. Um, just thinking about, hey, if I really know how to do this and do it well, I can make a lot of money. Do How do we prepare them for the inevitable opposite of making a lot of money when the market corrects, like March and April of 2020? Um, I talk to my students a lot about diversification. Um, and, uh, you know, what's interesting is a lot of them want to go into real estate investing. And so I think it's all about um, you know, sort of having that that mindset of you can't put all of your eggs in one basket. I actually said that in class yesterday. I said, why do you why would you not want to put all of your eggs in one basket? And somebody goes, because it'll get too heavy and it'll break and then all the eggs will fall on the ground. And, you know, that very, very descriptive, um, you know, literal sense 
um, of not putting all your eggs in one basket and talking through diversification and why putting, you know, different sources of money in different in different pockets. Um, I thought was that was really that was a really cool um, example of um, exactly what could happen if if one thing goes goes wrong, we have the other things to prop it up. Um, so that's that's something that that I try to to drive home the point um, of you know take a take a small piece of the money that you have available to invest and have fun with it learn learn from it you're you're not going to learn unless you at some point fail um, and just make sure that as you're building building up your portfolio that you are taking taking some profit and putting that away into another into another safer form of investment. That's a really good analogy. Uh... I've met folks when I that maybe were gifted Pepsi stock 50 years ago, but because they didn't know how or couldn't sell it then, they became emotionally attached to being an investor in a company like Pepsi. And I would definitely wholeheartedly agree with your statement. The education that comes from the relationship you form with a company when you invest in it is very powerful. Naomi, taking these observations, your experience, now pushing downstream, you had said 18 to kind of 24 was that sweet spot in your opinion. My first question before we kind of bridge to the finance university experience is if you could take one takeaway from your university observations and put that inserted into the high school classroom, what would that single takeaway be? That's a good question. Um, I think that the one observation that I have seen time and time again um, on the university campus is students taking out too much student loan debt um, or acquiring too, too much student loan debt. Um, one of the things that I try to teach even our, I try to try to focus this on incoming freshmen is that 20 years from now, if you use student loans to pay for your pizza and beer while you're on campus, you're going to regret it. So I had to take out student loans when I was in college, but I only took out student loans to pay for my tuition. So try to create a plan and, it, and it's possible. Try to create a plan that you can work during summer. You can save up enough money. You can find other sources to pay for your, your, your living expenses. And if you have to take out student loans, only take them out for your education because that's something that no one can ever take, take away from you. Your education is a lifelong benefit and you're never gonna have any regrets from taking out student loans to actually pay for your, pay for your schooling. And so I feel like if, if high school students can kind of get that perspective and get that purview early on before they actually step foot on a university campus, they will also be making better choices in terms of schooling. Um, you know, my, a conversation that I even have with my own children is, you know, we're, we were actually Longhorns. We graduated from the University of Texas at Austin. Um, but my kids are going to West Virginia University. And it's not only because I love that. I love the university, but it's also because the financial considerations. If you have two land grant institutions, big universities, state schools, um, the differential in education is, is, is not big enough to um, you know, account for the difference in cost. And I think that high school students sort of need to realize that going in a priority, um, you know, that you can get a really, really great education in your backyard um, that is not going to set you up for failure later on because of all of the financial considerations. So I think it's really just having those, those, those conversations about debt and about how you're using student loans to get you to where you need to be 
um, but not using them irresponsibly, not using them to pay for your sorority or your fraternity or for that pizza and beer. Um, those should be extra. Those should, those should, those should be out-of-pocket expenses because those are um, it's kind of like credit card debt, right? Um, if you're if you're using credit cards to make those impulse purchases, it's the same, it's the same kind of um, thing with student loans. It's accessibility to large amounts of, of cash that these students haven't had before and they're not managing it appropriately. I'm, I'm thinking to even the highest paid high school senior at a summer job, be it the ice cream shop, the mini golf course, or you know, technology oriented, it still doesn't equip you for how big that student loan amount is when you sign to go to university. I think that's a really, just to echo your, your, your comment there, if we can educate 18 year olds on what it means to sign the student loans before they sign, mm -hmm. not four years later when they graduate from the university and say, boy, I signed it because I knew I needed it, but I didn't even know what I was signing. Right. So what is Finance University? So that, like, what is the, the goals? What is the objectives? If I'm a high school educator in West Virginia, tell me more. So Finance University started um, actually 18 years ago um, in partnership with the West Virginia State Auditor's Office. Um, and we, we, there, was, there was a pool of money that was coming into the state from actually from lawsuits. And they decided that they were going to repurpose this money um, and try to begin to educate um, primary and secondary educators throughout the state of West Virginia. And so once a year, they would... They would um, have a free seminar, a week-long seminar, where teachers from all across the state would come to Charleston um, to learn about topics related to financial literacy. Um, I, I became involved about 10 years ago, um, you know, again, when, when we started the CFP program and I started working in that area and I started to, to really see um, you know, the need for financial literacy, um, not only because I saw what was happening throughout Appalachia um, in terms of just the, the, the economic um, disparity um, and the lack of education that people, people had, um, but also just trying to think holistically, being the land-grant institution, how can, we, how can we help constituents of the state of West Virginia? Um, and I think that the it starts with kids, right? It always starts with kids. It's, it, I think adult learners um, definitely are, it is financial literacy is needed in, in terms of adult learners, but um, if we're gonna make a general generational shift in the state of West Virginia in terms of economic growth and understanding basic financial concepts um, to really improve the quality of the life of these of, of, of our, our constituents, we have to focus on developing financial literacy from a very young age. Um, and so that's that's really been the holistic approach that I've taken um, with working with Finance University um, because it's not only, you have the ability to not only reach the, the primary and secondary students in the state of West Virginia, but you also have the opportunity to teach these educators about topics related to financial literacy that then they can employ in their own lives. And so you're reaching um, sort of indirectly, you're reaching two large population groups um, that are both critical for success. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a great program. It's a great opportunity to um, learn more about topics. We, we not only try to provide um, resources to educators that they can bring back to their classrooms, but we really try to focus on the educational part of it too. And, and so 
when we when you study, um, you know, educators that teach financial literacy, oftentimes they shy away from it because in order to teach something, you have to be able to employ it yourself and, and understand it. Um, and so about 10 years ago, we kind of shifted away from just kind of bringing in different resources to really focusing on um, teaching educators about topics that they were interested in or in their own life in terms of managing their own portfolios, understanding their constraints, trying to get them working on a comprehensive financial plan that would, um, you know, improve their, their overall quality of life, but then also coupling that with resources that they can bring back to their classrooms. So that... So that's a great analogy. Vanguard years ago had done a study that educators felt unprepared because they weren't applying these principles in their own life. So for the past 10 years, that was a focus. If you could snap your fingers and have a, a dream or a wish of where the state is 10 years from now, what would that dream entail? So um, that dream would be that every single student in the state of West Virginia would be taking a personal finance course in high school, that it would be a required course. And um, our good friend, Tim Renzetta, um, I, you know, we share we share that goal, we share that desire, and he's been a great partner, and NextGen has been a great partner um, to me, and I, I feel like, you know, to all of us who work in this space, um, because that, that should be the goal, that every young person has the opportunity or the ability to take a financial literacy course. And so that's something that we are, we are working toward, we're working actually, the state of West Virginia has this incredible extension office and the extension agents in every 55, there are 55 counties, there's an extension agent assigned to all, all of those counties are trained in, in financial literacy. So we've actually created a partnership with extension um, to begin to sort of deploy them as um, almost agents of the, the Center for Financial Literacy and Education to start to move that, move us toward that goal, both working in the classroom, working with adult learners, but also sort of understanding the educational landscape to start to work with superintendents at schools um, to show them the benefits of um, you know, deploying this in their own school. Is there, is there any, for an educator to attend, are there any stipulations or just sign up and come learn more? Just sign up and come learn more. Um, we have, like I said, we have great partners who um, provide us with funding that allow us to offer this free of cost. Um, we are hoping that um, we'll actually be in person this year. Um, we'll be in Morgantown. Um, and I think that it's an opportunity to um, come together with like-minded ed educators from across the state of West Virginia um, and also to have some fun. Um, I feel like we always have a really good time and we've tried to build in, um, you know, some different activities, some different events. We always do it. We, we've started doing an opening dinner. Um, we weren't able to be in person this last summer, but the summer before we all went to a, a Black Bears uh, baseball game. Um, and I think that, you know, you, you have to build those things into, um, you know, into it too. So it's, it's not all about just sitting and learning about financial literacy. It's really about building out a community um, of educators that you can then, you know, form friendships with, but also, you know, rely on when you're, when you're going back to your classrooms. Do you have a favorite moment either from outside the conference or inside Finance University that, that you think back on and makes you smile? I have a lot of moments. Um, like I said, we have a really, we have a lot of fun. Um, and these educators are just so passionate and so energetic about what they do. But I think my very favorite moment was 
Um, two years ago, um, a teacher came up to me at the end of, of the week and she said, I just want to thank you for, for putting this on. And I said, well, of course, you know, uh, thank you for coming. And um, she said, no, I really mean it. She said, this is the first time in my career that I've felt been made to feel like I was a professional. And that just, you know, reson just resonates with me, right? Because these, these educators really are working um, day and night. They're not paid what they should be paid. Um, and um, to give them the opportunity to not only, you know, be in a program that, that offers professional development, but also um, that they have, they, have, they have a good time and that they, they, feel, um, they feel how important they truly are is, is really, you know, that, that, was, that was my all-time favorite moment. I love that, Naomi. Uh, in a recent episode, we interviewed Tim Renzetta, who you had just referenced as a, as a partner. Um, and Tim very humbly pushed back and, you know, said he was, he was far too humble. Without him in the room, I just want to also just shout out to NextGen, the work they're doing to empower moments like you just said. Um, Tim Renzetta and NextGen are just doing great work across the country. Yeah, absolutely. No, and Finance University, I, I will I will pile on to that compliment because um, two years ago, Finance University probably would have ended um, if it weren't for NextGen coming in and Tim coming in and really saying, you know what, we want this to continue and, and we're willing to help help fund it um, to make sure that there's longevity here. So yeah, he's, he's incredible in the work they do. It's just phenomenal. It's a positive multiplier effect. Yeah. Naomi, before we start to wind down, you've you've said the term CFP a couple of times over the course of our conversation. If that's the first time I'm hearing the acronym CFP, what does that stand for? And why does that matter? So CFP is um, a certified financial planner. Um, and one of the, I think, obstacles in terms of you know, financial services and financial planning in general are finding very reputable individuals who um, you can trust to manage your money. So the CFP is really, I, I, I feel like it's a, it's a certification of not only a knowledge base, but also of, of certain ethics that these individuals are going to employ when they're, when they're actually managing your money. Um, I, I think from a, a student perspective, um, the curriculum that you will go through from a board certified CFP program um, is unparalleled to what you would get in just a, a, a normal, you know, finance program. Um, the standards are really high and they make sure that you um, have a really good sense of holistic financial planning. So, you know, both on the investments and wealth management side, but also on the risk management side and understanding different insurance project, products, um, hedging, um, and then the whole comprehensive, you know, goal setting and financial planning piece as well. I'll, I'll echo that for students in, in the finance field, pursue the CFP, it's a great designation. Um, and, and for those who aren't, look for designations like the CFP with the folks you work with. Um, it's essentially, they've made a commitment to their clients by pursuing education like that. Right, exactly. Naomi, we always wind down with the same question and uh, let me say thank you too, because I have really enjoyed this conversation. What advice, with all that you know now in this basket of experiences you have, what advice would you give your younger self of what you now know? 
So I get this question from time to time from my students as well. Um, you know, what would you change? What would you do differently? Um, and honestly, I can truly say nothing. I um, have had an incredible, I, my, my career before I came into finance was, I was actually a professional ballerina. Um, so I think the only regret is maybe I would have done that a little bit longer. Um, but I've had this incredible career where I've been um, you know, do meaningful work. And I think that at the end of the day, um, you know, speaking to all the people listening out there, you have to just find something you really love and go wholeheartedly into it. And I feel like West Virginia University has allowed me to be the, the, the kind of professor and the kind of professional that I've wanted to be at every stage of my career. Um, and, and not many people have the opportunity that to say that. Um, and I, I feel like the work that I do both um, across the state of West Virginia, but also just working with my own college students um, has been so, I, I've gotten back more than I've given. Um, you know, I, I feel every day I've, I, I'm excited to go to work. I'm excited to work with these young, young adults. Um, and I'm really, I'm really blessed and I'm really fortunate. So um, I think that overall, you know, just have a passion for what you do and have a passion for, for life and, and enjoy it because I think what, this last year has shown all of us is that life is precious um, and you know you 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 can't plan for everything um, and so certainly you know making sure that you're enjoying the here and now is is a big part of um, you know my day-to-day -day and my my belief system I guess. I love it. I'll I'll add that your students are blessed to have you as well Naomi. Um, well, thank you. That. I haven't gotten to know you over the years. Naomi thank you. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Watching Trees Grow, presented by Trotwood. Don't forget to subscribe both to our podcast and our YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in learning more about Trotwood, please visit us at troutwood.com or follow us on social media. A special thank you to our guests today and our host, Jean Natale. Our producers are Jeff Davidek, Maggie Mayer, and me, Kristen Malone. This podcast is not intended to provide legal, investment, or tax advice on any of the topics we've covered. Thanks for listening. Join us next time on another great episode of Watching Trees Grow.